What could prevent an advisor from starting an RIA? Is today's question on the transition to RIA question and answer series. It is episode number 85. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RA model. Uh, if you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, you can find all of the resources I make available uh, from this entire series is in video format, podcast format, I have articles, I have white papers, all kinds of resources to help you better understand the RIA model. Again, transition to RIA.com. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to be answering the question, what could prevent an advisor from being able to start an RIA? Now, generally don't get asked that question verbatim because it doesn't necessarily occur to some folks to say, hey, what, what, should, I, what should I ask about why I might not be able to do this? But the reality is, Unfortunately, for some folks, I have to end up answering this question for them because of their circumstances. So as we will go through today, uh, hopefully many, if not all of these items don't apply to you. But if they do, it could be a potential challenge for you being able to start your own RIA. Uh, and folks do come across these issues or these issues are relevant or are in play and it, and it does create uh, some challenges or some hurdles. So I did want to make an episode to kind of talk about what some of those are. Now, for starters, and those of you that have listened to a lot of these episodes know, I am a big believer the RA model is not for everyone. While I am obviously a big proponent of the model, I help advisors understand the model, understand how to transition into the model. It's not for everyone. So and, uh, just as a precursor to this, uh, the, the kind of the rest of the content here on this episode, just know that the first thing you have to do if you're considering the RA model, excuse me, is understand the model, understand how does it work? How do the economics work? How does the flexibility work? How do the responsibilities work? You got to factor all these pieces in and then and then decide how that would look for your particular practice and then decide, okay, would it make sense for me to transition my existing practice into this RA model? There's all different kinds of flavors, all different kinds of pathways into the model. I talk a lot about that on these episodes. So on, on when we're talking about here today, we're, let's go ahead and assume we've got past that first layer. And for those of you that are still considering that, thinking that through, again, that's a big part of my value proposition is helping you understand it, how it works and what it would look like for your practice. So let's say you have got past that point. You've already determined, you've understood it. Okay, ideally, this would be good for my practice. Now, what, what essentially are next steps? And that's where maybe some of these hurdles could come into play. Again, thankfully for most of you, these, these won't be relevant, but it is worth pointing out because for, for those of you that it is relevant, these, these could be some challenges. So number one, these are no particular order, uh, but number one, if you want to move into the RA model and you want to start your own RA, by the way, there's other pathways I've talked about. You could join an existing RA as an example, but if you want, want to start your own RA, among other things, that RIA, uh, and there's a whole registration process, of course, for it, that RA has to be approved by either the SEC or state, depending on your circumstances. I've done an episode on that as well. But let's say you're SEC, uh, you're large enough to be SEC. Well, the your RIA registration has to be uh, essentially, and they, they don't technically use the word approved, basically uh, accepted, if you will, uh, by the SEC. And, and so... 
when you send it off, they're going to do a review. They're going to do a review of the ADV registration or the application. Uh, they're going to look at the background of the main principles, the main owners, to see if there's any concerns there. And, and it's not a guarantee that they will essentially approve it uh, and come back to you and then you can go live and you might say, okay, well, well, what is that? For instance, if you have significant CRD items or there's a significant potentially CRD reason, uh, U5 reason, you're now seeking out the RA model. Perhaps if you have been terminated by a broker dealer, uh, that could be an issue to then go get approved by either the state or SEC with your own RIA. Uh, not too long ago, a, a rather large advisor at one of the traditional wirehouse firms came to me uh, said, hey, um, I'm ready to, to kind of move my practice into the RA model. Uh, and then kind of upon the conversation, get a little deeper, we came to understand, well, the, the reason for that interest is because they've been terminated from their broker dealer firm. That's that's kind of the nexus. And yes, maybe they've been considering it for a long time or thinking about it. But, but the reality is they've been terminated. That is now what's kind of prompted prompted this more concrete action to say, okay, I want to do this. Let's do this. And without going into details, he had been terminated for pretty harsh circumstances. And the language on the U5 was going to be pretty, pretty harsh. Uh, and he came to me and just essentially kind of thought, yeah, there would be it would be no problem. I can pivot. It's now my firm. I don't have to worry about someone else essentially terminating me or putting language on things. It's it's my own firm. Uh, and I had to point out to him, unfortunately, he he wasn't realizing it. But there was no guarantee he would be able to get approved, particularly with the circumstances that's now on his record. And that that unfortunately deflated uh, right there uh, live live on a Zoom. I, I was tough to communicate. Deflated what he thought was his kind of for sure ability to go on a next path here. And so the regulators will look at that sort of thing. And, and, and in part, because you see a lot of criticism over the years of, of for instance, regulators not talking to each other, where, where someone, uh, a broker will get, kicked out of the, uh, the, the the brokerage industry, and then will go set up shop as an insurance salesperson. And the insurance regulators aren't talking to the uh, securities regulators. And so states and then the, the federal level are trying to uh, kind of tighten that up and say, hey, if, if, if for sure you've been banned in one of these channels, you, you're likely it's going to be a very big hurdle to get approved in a different channel. But even if short of, short of being banned, depends on what the circumstances are, what the CRD items are. It could be an issue. So just keep in mind, there could be reasons your state or the SEC will not approve you potentially because of circumstances, uh, essentially of your track record on your CRD, your U5. So that's number one. Uh, number two is even if you don't have that issue, so you have a clean record, you don't have any skeletons in the closet, and you can get approved by the state or SEC. Well, if you want to manage assets, whether on a discretionary, non-discretionary basis, whatever the case is, you are going to need a custodian, right? So I've done a lot of episodes talking about custodians, done one on how to choose a custodian. Uh, you can check that out if you want. But you do need a custodian to work with. And there's all different kinds of reasons. Some custodians might be available to you and some not. They, they, they typically have minimums. So, so some might have a higher minimum asset level that, that your, your individual practice is not at yet. So they're just not available to you for that reason. But, but of the ones that maybe you reach the minimums, there's still circumstances where a custodian might not be willing to enter into what's often referred to as a clear agreement with your RIA. So your RIA needs that clear agreement with at least one custodian. One day you might have more than one custodian, but you need that clear agreement. 
And when you go back to that advisor I was describing a little bit ago that unfortunately had had a uh, challenge in term situation, uh, that that too was something I communicated. I said, okay, even if the SEC approves you, you still need a custodian to approve you. And one of the things custodians will look at is who are the main owners, the main principals of this RIA that has come to us, or we've, we've found them perhaps, uh, that, that want to have a clear arrangement with our RIA. And, and they will look at that background and they could potentially say, okay, those circumstances were not comfortable working with this individual or this team or whatever the case is. Uh, so that that is a typical kind of part of the due diligence process custodian plays on you as the advisor of the team that would like to use them. So just as you're doing due diligence on the custodian to say, hey, is this a good partner for me, a good provider of custodial services? They they want to know that they're comfortable with who they will in turn be doing business as well. So if you have meaningful CRD issues, that could be a challenge or a hurdle uh, in the custodian's eyes to approve you. So just know that that is relevant, not only the, the registration level, also the custodian level. Uh, custodians will also, again, they're, they're going to look at your practice. Uh, they might not choose to enter into a clear arrangement with you, perhaps because of your client type. So uh, an easy example on that uh, is if you have almost exclusively foreign clients, uh, that's a higher risk for any custodian or broker dealer. There's more logistical hurdles with all the, the AML things and the know your client responsibilities. There's more risks because the, the regulators are, are, are fining uh, companies and, and assessing fines because they, they don't feel their AML policies are tight enough. So uh, if you have a lot of foreign clients or all foreign clients, the custodian might just simply take a pass. And, and I, I talked to an advisor recently reached out to me and he kind of had two things going against him. One, he was almost all foreign clients uh, and two, he, it was a rather modest sized practice. So then if you go to a custodian and first of all, you're, you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in the higher risk category because of, of foreign clients. And that's not to judge anything about the advisor or their clients, but it just is what it is. There, there's, there's heightened risk associated with having foreign clients, clients in other countries. And in this case, then he didn't get a modest sized practice. So basically he has to attempt to find a custodian and say, hey, I'm I'm not even that big to begin with to generate you, you know, meaningful revenue. And on top of that, the profile of my clients is not ideal necessarily either. So it depends on your client type. And, and probably the main example of that is, is foreign clients, uh, whether they're, they're uh, in another country or they're Americans that are living abroad. There's all kinds of different scenarios. That could be an issue for a custodian to, to be able to accommodate your business. Uh, another example where a custodian might take a pass uh, and I dealt with this recently, uh, is if your practice has a lot of, of very small accounts, and maybe you have some big accounts mixed in there too, but if you have a lot of small accounts, that math just doesn't work for a custodian. So in an extreme example, I had a, a team come to me recently, and they literally had thousands of accounts under about $10,000 each, thousands of them. Well, that is a lot of work and responsibility for a custodian to maintain uh, each account. They, they do have things that, 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 that they're uh, required to do and send out tax forms and statements and, and, and all those sorts of things, not, not to mention the, just the, the, uh, the uh, process of opening accounts. Um, so to, to show up uh, as an RIA to a custodian and say, hey, here's my profile. I have thousands of accounts that have two, three, four, five thousand $5,000 in them. 
they they will likely take a pass. Just the math doesn't work for them. The economics doesn't work for them. So that that's an example of what could be another hurdle. Uh, and then the final kind of related hurdle on what might cause a custodian to take a pass uh, is a custodian does need to look at not just, okay, who who would we be doing business with? Are we comfortable with these people uh, on a on a kind of an individual professional level? But but will this profile of the practice be a reasonable revenue generator for us? So I've done an episode on how custodians generate revenue. They are a for-profit business. For them to do business with you, it has to make economic sense for them. So they, they will do uh, with anyone that wants to essentially set on a profile of your practice to understand kind of what the revenue drivers would be for them. And then if you're, I'll give you like an extreme example, even if you have a couple hundred million dollars, but if you're essentially Warren Buffett and you show up and you say, hey, uh, here's the thing, we, we well, and this is a bad example for Warren Buffett because he does hold cash, but if you said, hey, we basically hold no cash in, in client accounts, which by the way, that's a meaningful revenue driver for custodians. So if you say, hey, we don't, we don't basically hold any cash uh, we don't use any mutual funds. That's a potential revenue driver for custodians. We only own individual equity trades. Hey, we understand those those don't have a transaction charge. And the the Warren Buffett reference was to say we buy blue chip stocks and we buy them and we hold them for decades. So we might do three trades total in an account per year. It's all equities, and that's all we do. Well, there's there's basically no meat on the bone. For the custodian at that point, there's a there's a couple other revenue drivers that that could come in, but in that I'm just trying to give an extreme example. If there's literally no revenue for the custodian and they do have costs associated with being able to 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 uh, kind of service your your relationship, it just might not work. And again, you you have to generally have a pretty extreme example for them to take a pass on it. But there are some scenarios where it just might not work for them, and they just might respectfully say, hey. It's it's we're we're just not going to be a good partner for you. So th those are kind of the two main bigger hurdles of what could prevent you from starting RA are from a registration issue. You maybe can't get registered, and then if you if you are going to manage assets, which typically advisors do or RAs do, if you can't get yourself a custodial relationship uh, and one that that you, that you're happy with as well, those are the two big hurdles. Uh, but the final thing I just did want to mention is even if you can get past both of those hurdles. The other thing to still kind of keep in mind is, can you successfully navigate away from wherever you are now to transition your practice into that RA model? And I've, I've talked about this in a couple of different episodes. So I'm not going to go too deep on it, but just to give you some kind of more extreme examples where it just might not work. So the first example, and I won't name names, but there are because uh, among others, custodial firms out there that have their own branded, often referred to as retail storefronts. You know, it might be in a strip mall, and then they they uh, clients off the street can walk in and open an account, and there's someone there to help them. Well, the the advisor that's in those locations typically is kind of is hired to essentially service those relationships. Uh, that advisor is typically not. Um, uh, tasked with going out and finding new business, the the kind of arrangement with the firm is, hey, we'll bring all the clients to you. Or, or by the way, we already have this huge amount of clients. We just need you to service those relationships. Uh, that can be a wonderful career for folks that want to play that role. It can it can pay uh, a good compensation as well. But make no mistake, if you are in one of those roles and you want to leave and maybe start your own RIA. The firm that you're leaving is not going to take that 
lightly. They are not going to let you just walk out the door and try to solicit and woo clients away from that. Again, that's a very specific circumstance where for the most part, the advisor has not gone out and got those clients themselves. They've just essentially been given to the advisor to kind of service, to be that kind of relationship person. Um, so, so that's kind of an extreme example where if you try to leave that, they are not going to let you go. Uh, they're not going to let you go easily. They're certainly not going to be uh, comfortable with you taking clients. Uh, and so there might be, the point of that is, even if you can get your own RA, even if you get a custodian, depends on where you leave from, it might not realistically be able to take your clients with you. Now, I don't want to scare anyone off because it's very few instances or scenarios where that's kind of a hard stop. In most instances, even if you have a non-solicit uh, or, or any sort of contract language, there's usually still a way to navigate through it successfully. Uh, but there are some scenarios which are just, unfortunately, pretty much a hard stop. So that, that's one of them. Um, another example that's a pretty hard stop, uh, and I have seen this, I, I have come across this, is if... You have a practice, you've grown it over the years, you, you, whatever size you are, and at some point you sell the practice, uh, perhaps to an RIA or, or whatever the entity type is, you've sold it and they've maybe kept you on uh, for, for some period of time. Uh, and now for, for whatever your motivations are, uh, maybe you're just not happy there anymore, whatever the case is, and you say, hey, I'm actually going to leave, I'm going to go start my own RIA and, and take my clients with you. They, they will have an issue with that. If you have sold your clients and you got a, you got a compensation for that, it's not reasonable to then think you can then go in essentially double dip and then take those clients away from them. They will have an issue with it. So if that's your circumstance, uh, again, we would leave it up to the attorneys to kind of sort through whatever agreement you've signed. But more than likely, that's mostly going to be a dead end. And that's fair because if you've sold a practice, the buyer has paid compensation for that asset, uh, it would not be fair for you to then essentially try to pull that away. So that's likely essentially a dead end for you as well. Uh, and then the final just example, and this is not an exhaustive list, is that sometimes I come across as, uh, and, and this one's not as black and white, but for instance, if you're maybe a more junior member on a team somewhere, and you've kind of come in towards the latter part of the history of that team, and that that team has bulk of their size long before you arrived uh but maybe you've you've contributed some to it and and if you as the junior member want to leave and maybe go in a different direction some sort of independent model uh, but the team doesn't well if you leave and then start trying to take clients off of the team particularly the clients that you didn't bring to the table they probably are going to have a big issue with that and it's probably going to cause you lots of, of of legal challenges along the way. And again, this depends on the circumstances. Maybe you can navigate some of that, but, but that would be another example where it's just not going to be an easy path to maybe start in your own RA and move in your, 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 your clients into it. So this, this has been kind of super high level. Again, not an exhaustive list, but I did just want to give examples of some of the hurdles of what could prevent you from register in the RA, what can prevent you from realistically being able to get a custodial relationship? And even if you get past those, what might prevent you from realistically being able to transition your clients into the new practice? So just, just some scenarios. I, I, I not, not just hope, I know for most of you, none of those are applicable. But for those that it is applicable, these are meaningful things that you'll need to think through because there's no reason to try to make a path that, that you're essentially destined for failure on. So just, just be aware of these items. So uh, whether you're trying to understand, again, back at the beginning, like I said, whether 
even if these items don't apply to you, whether you should be considering exploring the RA model and how it looks and why it's different from what you have now. Is it is it actually better? Again, that's the sort of thing I help advisors with. And then if we get past that is, is to look through some of these individual items that that might come up. And, and that's a big part of what I do is, is understanding your practice and, and pointing out what, what issues might be essentially on the roadmap that, that you want to be aware of. Uh, so like I said at the top, my name is Brad Wales with Transition to RA. Again, this is what I help advisors with, having that conversation, doing that education of what the RA model looks like, understanding your practice, helping you understand what that would look like in the RA model. Again, different ways to go into the RA model. So, so helping you kind of sort through what those pathways are, figure out all the solutions needed, figure out what that transition process is. Again, that's what I do. I'm happy to have that conversation with you as well if you'd like. As I said at the top, if you go to transitiontoria.com, uh, you can find all of the resources I make available. Again, this entire series is available in video format, podcast format, I've articles, I have white papers. At the top of every page is a contact link. Uh, just click on that. And if you'd like, you can instantly and easily schedule time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, whether you want to talk about today's topic, anything else RIA related, I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Again, transition to RIA.com. And with that, I hope you found value in today's episode, and I'll see you on the next one.